Hello and a warm welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Jane Garvey, and TV critic, Rihanna Dillon. We have quite um, quite a stew of stuff. Um, I'm saying that because we've definitely got a big star with us this week, Nadia Hussain. Um, but there's loads of other good stuff available on the Radio Times podcast too. What else is there? Yes, we're going to be talking about the latest series of On the Edge, an anthology series. Also, we'll be delving into the new series of Doctor Who. Are we allowed to? Because there's been an enormous, <laughs> it's not even a veil of secrecy. It's like... An iron curtain of secrecy. Well, it's out there now. Everyone spent their Halloween nights watching Doctor Who. So, well, not everyone, because I'd already see, I'd already had the great pleasure of watching a preview of the first episode of this, the final Jodie Whittaker Doctor Who series. I can't wait to hear what you thought about it. I bet. And do listen to last week's interview with Jodie Whittaker, the Doctor herself. What else? We've got a couple of really interesting films as well: The Colour Room with Bridgerton star Phoebe Dinover and David Morrissey, and also Passing, which is is a new film from actress Rebecca Hall's. It's her directorial debut. Yes, and it's, as you'd expect, a very sophisticated offering, isn't it? It's a really, really beautiful watch and it's on Netflix for everyone to enjoy. I mentioned Nadia Hussain and uh, she is back on BBC One with a new cookery show called Fast Flavours. I've already talked to Nadia, not just about the show, but about much else in her life. And here she is explaining that she actually has quite a special role in British public life. I have a responsibility to people who relate to me, people who, you know, people of colour, Muslims, women, stay-at-home moms, you name it, all of those. You know, there are lots of layers that make me who I am. And, you know, I do have a responsibility. And don't get me wrong, you know, I am human after all. So that it does weigh heavy on me sometimes. That's Nadia Hussain. She is a really interesting person to talk to always in my experience. And actually, some of that doesn't really come across in her TV work where she is necessarily, mm. by the very nature of it, really up and bouncy and, and really yes. super bubbly. But there's a lot more to Nadia and more from her later. No doubt you've had an exciting week because you always do have a, an exciting <laughs> week, Rihanna. But you've also got quite a, well, quite an assignment ahead of you as we speak. Uh, yes, uh, going to Belfast because it's the release of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone's 20th anniversary. Oh, I yes, I knew that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 20 years we've had Harry Potter on our screens, so I'm going to Belfast to do a, another podcast, a rival podcast, Jay. I believe it. <laughs> um, called Girls on Film, and we're going to be... I, I'm so excited about this. I never really get to wax lyrical about Harry Potter professionally. I do it a lot in my personal life. Um, interestingly, I'm... Interestingly, it's definitely not interesting. I don't love the films. I love the books. So it's going to be, it's going to be difficult trying to balance that while talking quite fairly because I think we're going to with an audience who are huge huge fans of the yeah. film well you didn't ask but I'm going to tell you anyway I've had an okay week thanks very much um, I, did, I asked off air oh, yeah alright uh, she did to be fair uh, I went to Edinburgh last weekend and wow I have been before but I had forgotten what a beautiful place Edinburgh is I mean it is basically the home of Harry Potter so. well, I was going to say that's sort of linked because JK Rowling does live didn't she start writing the Harry Potter books in a coffee shop in Edinburgh is yeah the there's story? so many and also, so you know, the so many things were filmed there right. as well. But you had a wonderful time. Well, I did. A, a feed lover and I yet yet another venue in our <laughs> will it ever end book tour. <laughs> but we did get a very very interesting crowd at the assembly oh, rooms in Edinburgh. Yeah, I think there. Were, I mean, there were people from Glasgow there as well. Mm. There's always that little bit of well, more than a little bit of antipathy between residents of the two Scottish cities. But I tell you what, they've all got a sense of humour, <laughs> and thank goodness for that. Anyway, this seminal literary work—did I say that out loud? Is still available in every single good bookshop. 
you can name. Apart from the one I tried to find it in. Yeah, well, it's probably sold out. <laughs> We're going to start this week by talking about three films, film dramas, which are going to play out on Channel 4 on the evening of Sunday, the 7th of November. Mincemeat is at 10 o'clock, Cradled at 10.30 and Superdad at 11 o'clock. Now, these are relatively short brilliant and new films about life in contemporary Britain. I think they're really interesting. Um, the first one is Mincemeat, which is the one I've seen. You've seen Mincemeat and Cradle. Mm-hmm. That's right, isn't it? Here's a clip from Superdad, which is the third in the anthology. Here we go. No one takes the bus to school on their birthday. Is this your new car? Yep, newly mine. Where did you get it? <laughs> it's good to see you, mate. It's good to see you too, Dad. So what does your mum get you for your birthday? Dad, she's taking me to some vegan restaurant. I don't even like vegetables. She's probably pulling your leg, mate. You know, she's always been good at birthday surprises. Yeah, I guess. This is something I probably ought to have known much more about because I enjoyed the episode I saw. What is it? So it is an anthology series about people on the edge of a change or a breakdown or a precipice of some kind. And it starts with Amy Lou Wood, uh, the BAFTA-winning actress from Sex Education, who is utterly suffocated in this episode by her mother, who uses her spare time to go out and protest against immigrants, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Her mother is played by an actress who I often see... She is an Absolutely everything. But she needs to be in more stuff because I love her. It's Rosie Cavaliero, isn't it? Yes. Is that right? Is she, I just think she's underused because I've never seen her give a bad performance. She's a character actress, so she never gets these leads, but she elevates every scene she's in. She really does. I agree. Yeah, she's 100%. great. Anyway, sorry, more about this. Um, I, yeah, so it's about this uh, kind of... Amy Lou Wood's character is someone who is yearning, I think, for another life, a better life, but also equally can't doesn't feel like she can abandon her mother. Um, her brother is played by Arthur Hughes, who's Rory in The Archers, if anybody wants to know. I interviewed him once and absolutely fangirled over him. Sec. That, I knew, I knew his voice. Yes, there you go. Oh my goodness. Okay, yeah. now what about Cradled? Cradled, I sat and watched and absolutely sobbed my way through. Oh no. Um, but it is absolutely excellent again because it's about a mother who had a new mother who is suffering from postpartum depression and it reminded me a bit of the film Tully um, because that's also a sort of not quite postpartum but about a mother who is suffering and no one really realizes and no one is really sort of taking a moment to help and that I find so incredibly frightening um it's that whole thing of women not being listened to especially in the horror genre it's that hysterical woman or you know being ignored and although her family and friends are all quite a kind her husband is played by Damien Maloney um who was in Brassic which we reviewed oh, yes. a few weeks ago yeah. um that was and- a very broad comedy if I remember right <laughs> it was broad exactly um so he's a, he's very sort of sweet charismatic kind loves the baby loves her but doesn't quite twig just how deeply traumatised she is. It sounds like she had an incredibly difficult birth. And the realism of this episode just really got to my core, I think, which is why I cried so much. Possibly I was a little bit messing as well. well I, I wasn't going <laughs> to... But possible. Yeah. Very possible. Um, but it, it really shook me, I think, because it was done so well and it feels like it's something that could happen to anybody. Yeah. 
just to say that this is, although we kind of talked about it, is about different people's mental health. And, you know, I did cry. <laughs> but I also laughed a lot yeah. in uh, in Mince Me. I think Amy Lou Wood is such a fantastic actress and really knows, as she did so well in Sex Education, really knows how to balance that line between comedy and drama. Um, so this is very entertaining. You know, I don't want people to automatically think this is going to be a really difficult watch because they're not all necessarily. No, I think, I'm glad you said that. It's not earnest. No, it? it's no. not. And it does pull in threads of other genres as well, a bit of horror, dr- drama, comedy, etc. So that's three brand new British dramas on Channel 4, uh, beginning at 10 o'clock on the night of Sunday the 7th of November. And um, a thumbs up from us both, I think, for those. Absolutely. Yeah, they're very, very interesting. And go now- back and watch the other series, which are all on all four now. There's also a great new film out um, on Sky Cinema Premiere on Friday the 12th of November at 8 o'clock. It's called The Colour Room and it stars Phoebe Dinevore and David Morrissey. Here is a clip from that. I say we stop playing it safe. Thicker strokes and colour. Be careful, Miss Clear. Don't misinterpret my brother's attentions. If we sell directly to women, we'd be leading the way in the potteries. The modern woman will not want tat. The modern woman is forward-looking, not backward-looking. That is a quick clip from The Colour Room. Now, I did that quite rare thing of sitting and watching that film this week without having the first idea what it was about. Um, and I was, I've blown away would be an exaggeration, but I really lost, my, <laughs> I lost myself in yes. this world. And I found this very enjoyable. So briefly, what is it about before we hear from the stars? It's the true story of Clarice Cliff, who is the artist who specialised in pottery as she works her way up from a factory girl. And then she catches the eye of a factory owner who is played by Matthew Good. Be still my beating heart. Well, he's a handsome chap. This is the true story of Clarice Cliff, who is the artist who specialised in pottery. So it starts as she kind of works her way up from being a factory girl and then she catches the eye of factory owner, who is played by Matthew Good, Collie Shorter. And she somehow manages to create the sort of perfect job for herself, doesn't she? She carves a niche out. It's where a man's world, it's though. A, it is a man's world. So it's all about the fact that she is... A young, beautiful woman in a room full of older, grumpy, yeah. <laughs> miserable well, also, men. They, they, the company specialises in Toby jugs, which, yes. as it turns out, nobody likes. And I really like that in the film they they make they say that, that yeah they hate likes. the stuff they make, yes. but they flog them so they carry on making them. Who I, buys Toby jugs? Well, please, please. It's a very personal question. So, but if you play your cards right, you might one day come round to my house and view my. <laughs> My Toby Jug collection. Send us a picture if you collect Toby Jugs at Radio Times on Instagram. I would love to yeah. see your collection. podcast at radiotimes.com for all your Toby Jug photography. Carry on. <laughs> so Phoebe Dinever is Bridgerton is her kind of massive, massive breakthrough that's turned her into this worldwide star. And then, of course, Matthew Good, who is one of the very few men who has reduced me to a giggling mess when I interviewed him. Um, was he a very nice man? He was a very nice man, <laughs> and he. he he also, he'd um, listened to me on Radio 1 and that was such a nice thing to hear. I Young know. enough to listen to Radio 1 as exactly. well. Um, although he said he did it on the school run, so, you know. Gee, the average could... Radio 1 listener these days is about 45. <laughs> <laughs> My mum's still listening. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, this is a kind of really great combination. David Morrissey as well as one of the nicer grumbly old men. 
And Kerry Fox, who was fantastic in Shallow Grave, <laughs> she was so good in that film. Um, so I had all the will in the world for her to be brilliant. And although I loved her character, I do think that her accents were a little bit whiffy in this. But she's playing this harried mother. What I found so, what kind of really touched me was how how much she supported her daughters yes. in this film. Although she was kind of constantly going, oh, move your shoes and oh, stop no, messing she, around she with She really this. wanted them to fulfil their dreams, she didn't really she? did yeah. and you know we perhaps don't see enough of that on screen especially in period dramas this I, was gorgeous I, I love their relationship yeah. I, I think the family relationship was was really well well done in this and also I, if I'm honest I kept watching for something truly terrible to happen mm. to the characters and although there is some sadness at mm-hmm. the heart of this it's essentially a story of female triumph yes and I rather I really like yeah, that yeah of course what a wonderful story and the fact that it's true and I, can I also say no smut. So for after just a decent bit of entertainment. Yeah, showing my age a bit there. I do love a bit of smut, especially yes. when it comes to Matthew Good, but it's fine. <laughs> it's not to the film's detriment that there isn't any. <laughs> so let's hear from Phoebe Dinavore and David Morrissey talking to Radio Times staff writer Kellyanne Taylor, who asked them why they wanted to make the film. A lot of aspects of the film drew me to it, really. I mean, firstly, you have this brilliant pioneer that is Cyrus Cliff that I sort of knew of, um, knew her work, but didn't really know anything about her. And, you know, reading the script and then and then doing more research into her life. I mean, it's just what a fascinating journey and, and what a pioneer. And, yeah, I just thought it was a story that really had to be told. Yeah, likewise. I knew her work, um, but I knew nothing about her. And I'd always presumed that she was a woman from the sort of William Morris School or the Bloomsbury set or something like that. And when I discovered that she was a working class woman from Stoke who basically revolutionised the industry, not just from an artistic point of view, but from a commercial point of view, it blew me away. And I thought it was a story that needed to be told and a a person that needed to be reintroduced to the public conscious because I thought she was a fascinating and brilliant woman. It does feel like at the moment there is a space for these stories and especially female-led stories that perhaps haven't been given the space before. Let's discuss that. Yeah, I mean, it was was interesting. I was talking to Georgie Padgett, our producer, about this and, and she just said, you know, five years ago, even less, this film just wouldn't have been made. You know, people wouldn't have thought that Anyone would want to see a film about a woman who made pottery or created pottery. They just, to be in a position where we can tell the story and people will watch it and will be inspired and will enjoy it is, you know, it's it's great that we were able to make this film. In that case. Yeah, and you see, you know, a woman, or is it in the 1920s, early 30s, just punching through this glass ceiling certainly from a gender point of view, but from a class point of view as well. And I think one of the things for me is this morning, Phoebe and I went to the uh, Victorian Albert Museum to have our photographs taken with some of Paris's work. And seeing it in the context of this ceramics exhibition, just the, the, the shapes she uses, the colours she uses, you know, they're so new and down. I don't think we, looking back from today, I don't think we can appreciate just how revolutionary she was like a punk rocker just walking right into this world and and really, you know, shook it up. I mean, I think the character I play is someone who is the old guard. He's 
you know, he's very talented. He's someone who's sort of earned his stripes himself. But she really blows them away and is not just, as I say, artistically, but commercially. When she gets told no by the markets, which is predominantly all these men saying that's not what women want, she says, well, I'm going to do it a different way. And she goes, she bypasses all these guys. and She gets straight to the workforce, which is, is the women. And uh, that is still a model of commercial uh, enterprise that we use today. It, it has that same kind of homey feeling as Little Women, the kind of sense of female camaraderie um, and community. But it also unpicks the social standing of women and the sexism that existed. Um, I mean, for example, she's rumoured to have been sleeping with the factory owner and lots of people suggest that's why she keeps her job, which obviously we know isn't true, it's her talent. But do you think that perhaps parts of it still resonate in today's society, perhaps that female talent can sometimes be overlooked or perhaps not seen in the same light as a man's? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because... Polly and, and Clarice did eventually marry. Um, so there was a love story there. But, you know, I, I I want to stress and I keep stressing that it really wasn't a meeting of minds. And, and I think me and, well, everyone who was involved in making the film, particularly, you know, the director and writer, we really wanted to show that it was that. It was a meeting of minds. It was Polly seeing this young woman's talent and... Um, and also at a time when things weren't selling the market, you know, it wasn't it wasn't in a great place that actually what makes Clarice sort of push forward, you know, when she's really feeling back into a corner and like this isn't going to work is actually the women. And she suddenly realizes I don't need to win men over. I need to win over the women. I'm sure there are resonance, uh, resonances to today and, and lots of the film. One of the big things for me is, you know, the film putting Clarice in the position she deserves, which is a celebrated person of genius, uh, someone in our history who has been sadly passed over. I think, you know, she's known in her in the in the circles of the ceramic world that she isn't celebrated wider than that, and she really should be. I mean, in many many ways, you know, the the pioneer, the trailblazer, the revolutionary. You know, she really was someone, and I do think that if she'd been a man in that position, we would know about her in a wider context, and we don't. So, we can look for resonance in in the film, but I think what the film's real takeaway will be that uh, here is someone that we should all know and celebrate massively. Do you know, David Morrissey's point at the start there about how here's a woman we all ought to know about but don't, mm. he's he's spot on probably. Yeah. Um, and to my shame, I hadn't heard of her. Um, so I think if you are, if you've got to the stage in life where you do admire a bit of crockery, this is, and you like a bit of David Morrissey and you like uh, Matthew Good. I do then she does, uh, then this is a lovely way to spend an hour or two. It's The Colour Room on Sky Cinema Premiere, Friday the 12th of November at 8 o'clock. It's the thrill of a lifetime for me that Doctor Who is back. 
as you'll already Gripping know. Gripping with sarcasm oh, already. It was back, of course, 6.25 on Sunday, October the 31st, just in time for Halloween, with a Halloween-themed episode and the final series for Jodie Whittaker. What are we to make of this? <laughs> I really love the idea that people were, you know, getting very excited about watching Doctor Who and then just having their entire viewing experience interrupted every five minutes by trick-or-treaters. <laughs> I don't know how well-placed this actually was. Oh, that's a good point. Um, so, yeah, Doctor Who, so it's, the whole series is called Flux. Normally, these series don't have a sort of subtitle. So that in itself is quite interesting. And I think in the first episode, I'm not going to try and explain it because I won't be able to, no. but also because people might not have seen it yet. And I don't, this is the kind of thing that I really do not want to spoil. But I think what happens which is quite different from a lot of other Doctor Who series. It's not a self-contained episode. There are so many threads that are introduced in episode one. And it's it's quite tricky to follow. I think if you've never really been into Doctor Who, I'm looking at you, Jane. You are, well, you are looking at me. Um, you will have found this very, very difficult to follow. Will it, right? help, will it help if we have a clip? I don't think it will, but I'd love to hear a bit. Doctor! Are you seeing this? So Mandeep Gill is back as Yaz, the faithful psychic who I was kind of waxing lyrical about yes, last week. Yes, I know you're a big fan of hers. I really liked her. Um, John Bishop makes his Doctor Who debut. Um, what can we say about John Bishop in episode one of Doctor Who? Mainly that I really did not enjoy his performance. I don't think he's a good actor and I don't know why he was in it. Well, why have they got into, or perhaps they, have they, you tell me, have they got into the habit of hiring big names? Bradley Walsh has departed. It feels like they're very much pandering to a certain audience with both of those men. But they don't need that audience. And I don't think they need to, no, exactly. It is a weird one. It's frustrating. They do, they, they bring in several other characters. They bring in some brilliant Doctor Who villains as well, just in episode one alone. And it's the the ones that frighten me the most and the ones that make the make give me goosebumps and I hate that phrase, you know, hide behind the sofa when it comes to Doctor Who because it gets trotted out every single time <laughs> Doctor Who is mentioned. But, yes. And I don't believe anyone in history no. has ever actually hid behind the sofa. Um, but it's the one that... You can't, can I just say you can't get behind no, those sofas? No, neither. It's no. against the wall. Yeah. So where does that all come from? It's just a nonsense. You're right, it's lazy. Um, but it's the weeping angels. As soon as they come on screen... I'm frightened and I know it's going to be a good episode. They're like the statues. They're the statues. And uh, if you go back, there is a fantastic one-off episode of Doctor Who called Blink, which everyone talks about as one of the best ever. And it stars Kerry Mulligan. And it was kind of like the introduction in this new lot of of Doctor Who episodes with with these terrifying villains. Because what they do, they they don't kill you straight away. They just zap you to another point in time, leaving, you know, alone from all your friends, family, no way of getting back. It's, again, it's that sort of fear of loneliness and isolation in a different time. Oh, God. But it's 
fabulous. Okay, well, I'll have to take your word for it. So is this from your, I know you are somebody who knows a great deal about this world. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. This is a world that means a great deal to a lot of people just because it doesn't mean much to me. Um, That says a lot about me and not a lot about those people who love this series so dearly. Is this building up to be a vintage series, Flux? I think it's going to be a really exciting one. I find it really difficult to know about what's going to do really well and what isn't. Actually, I'm so rubbish at predicting that kind of stuff. But all of these threads do set up something huge, which is very, very exciting. But ultimately, I suppose, you know, the world is not going to end. We're going to get a new doctor. Well, can I say, if you were paying full attention to Professor Brian Cox... I wasn't. Well, the world is going to end. (laughs) Um, So um, it's all based on a lie, this Doctor Who thing. I've I've got to break it to people. Terrible, but there we are. So this isn't going to convert anyone who hasn't loved Doctor Who before. I don't think so. I mean, what did you think of the dog face general? Well, I I couldn't work out the dog. Um, There was also a chat with terrible dental work towards the end of the first episode. Now, that's a really exciting one. I think that's a new villain. Is it? Yes. Okay, well, he needs to see a he needs to go to smile <laughs> as soon as possible. Get himself sorted out. I know people haven't been able to go during the pandemic. There are no excuses now. So Doctor Who is back on BBC One on Sunday evenings. And look, I know it means so much to so many people. You will love it. Back down firmly on Terra Firma, we have Nadia Hussein, who's on BBC Two, a new series called Fast Flavours, beginning Thursday, the 11th of November at 8.30. So you've had your tea, but you'll already be thinking about what you're going to make the next night. Now, early in this new series of Fast Flavours, you see Nadia doing something I never thought I'd see on national television. Um, she's crunching what are described in the series as cheese puffs. But I think all of us know what sort of cheese puffs she's crunching. And she's just mashing them into the mac and cheese. Here's how it sounds. My flavour-packed mac and cheese with a savoury crisp puff twist is guaranteed to make you feel good. Sometimes comfort should be in just one mouthful. And I think I might have found it. This is rich with the cheese sauce and the depth of that yeast extract. Now I'm off to find some fluffy socks and put on a good movie. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, It wasn't something I'd ever seen done before. I like macaroni cheese. There are a lot of ingredients in this particular mac and cheese, particularly those cheese puffs. And so I did have to start the interview by asking her, what exactly are you up to, Nadia? I was making the fully loaded mac and cheese. I mean, if you're going to have mac and cheese, what is the point in cutting back? You just kind of, you've got to throw everything at it. You've got to make it the most delicious mac and cheese you've ever had in your life. And for me, like, I love that kind of, um, that really kind of smelly, cheesy flavour that you get from cheese puffs. And that lovely, I love the orange, I love that colour as well. So, um, and so much of my food is about kind of using up what I've got in the house, cooking for the kids, making it fun, making it delicious. This is not a mac and cheese for the purist or for someone who's watching their calories, is it? I mean, it really isn't. Neither of which I do, so I'm not watching my calories ever and I'm I'm certainly not a purist. The show is, it's deliberately, I'm assuming, bright 
You you dress in bright colours, you smile a lot, you enthuse. This is a show to gladden the heart, isn't it? Is that all on purpose? My kids are going to look at that and say, you are not that cheerful all the time. Um, but no, I, do you know what it is? When I'm in the kitchen, I'm really happy. Uh, and when I'm when I'm teaching people how to cook or doing something, it really make it, it gets me really excited. And the fact that I get to share my recipes. But to be fair, like... It, I dress myself. Nobody dresses me. Are you conscious, actually, particularly in front of your children, of not doing that, I must be careful what I eat thing? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I think it's bad enough that the kids have social media and television and, and they've got so many outlets that they consume. And, you know, the, the last thing they need is is that kind of um, that kind of message to be sent to them from home. Um, you know, I, I can't, I can't, control everything they see outside of our house or on their phones to an extent I can't control it so and and there's going to come a point where um, they'll be off out into the big wide world by themselves so you know for me it's really important that they they see kind of balance at home whether that's eating well eating cake and exercising and moving but also having fun so you know the last thing I need to do is give them another complex which I'm sure the world will give them one anyway so you know yeah. Yeah. Well, tragically, you're probably right. Um, can you just remind me how old your children are now? Because they're young teens, aren't they? Yeah. So my um, eldest is 15. Youngest, and uh, I've got two boys, 15 and 14. And my little girl is 11 going on 16. <laughs> yes, um, that's interesting. Is she the one who gives you, I don't know, sons, it's a generalisation, they can just love their mum and it seems uncomplicated, relatively speaking. Not necessarily the case with a daughter, what would you say? Um, Mine is the complete opposite, I've got to say. I would love, I mean, to be honest, I'd love to hear somebody who's had it easy, but um, yeah, my 15-year-old pretty much doesn't like me at the moment, but I hope that there's going to come a time in his life where he's like, oh, I actually quite like her. She's actually quite cool. Either that or just threaten to cut him out the will or something like that. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. But we're 15. We've got two. At the time when I had two kids, one after the other, it felt like such a good idea. But now I've got two teenagers. So not Mm. such a good idea. But yeah, they have moments where they love me, you know, like full on, like giving me kisses and like really affectionate. And other times it's very Jekyll and Hyde. And, And other times they just can't like, I think they don't like me breathing, really. So, yeah, but my little girl attached to me like glue. She's just, she is like my little best friend. Have you actually been told, I've been told this myself, that I'm breathing in an irritating way? Oh, they haven't said it, but I've seen it in their eyes. Yeah, I've seen it in their (laughs) eyes. They're like, oh, look at her breathing again. Yeah, yeah. What you have, and I think it is unique um, in Britain in terms of our most popular chefs, is a responsibility as a woman of colour. Mm. And I don't. Do, how keenly do you feel that? And is that in some ways a burden? If you'd asked me six years ago, it's not something that I would have kind of openly wanted to talk. I would have kind of uh, pushed it to a side and said, actually, can we just talk about the cooking and the baking and 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 my job? Um, and to be honest, now, sort of six years, nearly seven years in, you know, I, I do see it as a responsibility. It's, my career is so much more than just uh, working in publishing and working in television. You know, I have a responsibility to people uh, of, you know, who relate to me, people who, you know, people of colour, Muslims, women, 
stay-at-home moms, you name it, all of those, you know, there are lots of layers that make me who I am. And, you know, I do have responsibility and don't get me wrong, you know, I am human after all. So that it does weigh heavy on me sometimes. Um, But, you know, those moments where I kind of feel like, oh, I don't know if I can do this, that kind of, I realize the responsibility and kind of say, right, shake it off because you have responsibility to girls like you who didn't have representation. So yeah, it is important, heavy, it may be, but you know, it's one that I happily carry. But do you still have occasions when you're in meetings or you're involved in conversations where you are the only person of colour in the room? Does that still happen? Oh, absolutely. Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, I, I think... I think lots of people are surprised by that answer and they think that something has changed drastically uh, within publishing and television. But really, no, I, I still go to a meeting and I pretty much always just one of me. And whilst that's OK, because I'm used to it, it's not OK. Um, and I get asked all the time, you know, like, has something changed? Are we doing better? And the truth is, yes, you know, we are seeing much more diversity in terms of publishing and television and 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 media. But the truth is, like, we can't stop talking about it. The second we say, yeah, we've done enough, that's where it stops. And so we have to keep going and we have to keep talking about it and addressing the issue. Because, you know, I think lots of people who work in the kind of industry that I work in, you know, they've got parents or uncles or people who they know who work in the industry who find a way through. And the reality is there aren't that many of us. So how do we help our children to get into this industry? So, you know, the hope is that I open those doors and allow lots of people to to walk through them. And, you know, I'll keep holding that door open for as long as I need to. Can we just talk about your food? Because it is glorious. And <laughs> I suppose I'm intrigued by the experimentation involved. So we see the finished product. But was there a time when you were just shoving a load of ingredients into mac and cheese and, and it didn't work? I mean, what goes on behind the scenes? Well, luckily, because I suppose perhaps I've been cooking for such a long time, I suppose that like I haven't had any massive disasters. Most things work. So there might be the odd tweaking kind of, oh, a little bit more salt here or maybe a little bit less there or maybe some sweetness or some zinginess or, you know, like so there's always a little bit of tweaking, but never any massive disasters. But I mean, let's face it, you can't really go wrong with mac and cheese. And what's really good is when I test recipes and my kids come back and say, hmm, mom, and they finish the lot, polish the lot off and say, hmm, I think we need to test this one again. That usually means, right, they really liked that. (laughs) You've talked about your anxiety and, you know, there's been so much to be anxious about. Mm. How how are you at the moment? Are you sort of in a relatively good period? Yeah, you know what? I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, I have moments and I think it's really important to be honest. When somebody asks you, are you okay? It's okay to say, do you know, actually, I am not okay today. Weirdly, I'm a little bit wobbly today because I've got two boys today who are off school who have a bug and they've only just recovered from COVID maybe three, four weeks ago. So okay. um, we've had lots of sickness in our house. Um, and it's weird because I'm the only one that doesn't get sick. And I said to my sister-in-law a couple of days ago, I said, I really want to get sick so I can have a lie down. She said, you know, you can have a lie down without getting sick. I'm okay. I'm okay. Lack of sleep, but you know, coffee and chocolate will get me through. Uh, Nadia, thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you. I love talking to you and thank you very much. Take care. I hope the boys get better. Thank you. Thank you so much. Nadia Hussein, who's back on BBC Two with Fast Flavours, her new cookery show. It starts Thursday the 11th of November at 8.30. 
She's also on the cover of the Radio Times out today, uh, pretty in pink. It's a very bold, <laughs> happy cover, as you might expect from Nadia. And there's a, a fuller length version of that interview in the magazine as well this week. And uh, any views on that or anything else you've heard or seen on the telly, it's podcast at radiotimes.com. Actually, we wanted to mention that the, the return of one of our favourite dramas of all time, Happy Valley. Oh my goodness, I was so excited when this news dropped. The BBC publicist who emailed me with it, I just like messaged him back in huge capital letters just going, oh my God, this is fantastic news. It's Isn't it surprising news as well? It is surprising. Does anyone not know? This is the Sally Wainwright series starring Sarah Lancashire, James Norton. It's just brilliant. It is. And Siobhan Finneran. Yes, as the sister. As the sister, um, who is fantastic. She's an alcoholic um, and is such a kind of, it's so the kind of heart, I think, of that show. And we should say it's not going to come back. We've got a year or so oh, to it's wait. Been, it's, it hasn't even started filming yeah. yet. But yeah. the fact that it's coming at all is sensational news. So one more show to review. And um, what is this, Rihanna? This is a film from actress Rebecca Hall, her directorial debut, as we said, and starring Tessa Thompson, who, if you don't know, she is in films like Creed, Dear White People, and I suppose her biggest film, or at least probably the most watched one to date, would be Thor Ragnarok. Um, yes, she, perhaps not her f- proudest moment. She plays Valkyrie of in course, that. yes. Um, and uh, she stars opposite Ruth Negger, who is from Loving, a beautiful film with Joel Edgerton. She was in Ad Astra, and and also Misfits, which I think yep. everybody who is doing incredibly well right now pretty much started their career in Misfits. Um, so they play two friends who bump into each other one day serendipitously. And Ruth Negger is a young black woman who is passing as a white woman and is married to not only a white man, played by Alexander Skarsgård, but a racist white yes. man um, who is incredibly derogatory about black people in just like the seconds that Tessa Thompson's character meets him. Um, and so you, so there's this always this impending fear that he will find out that his wife is actually a black woman. Tessa Thompson is playing a woman who can pass as white if she needs to in white neighbourhoods. And again, we see her starting the film in a, in a toy shop full of white people. Um, and she keeps her hat very, very low over her face. Um, she tries to not speak very much. She demures quite a lot. So... But then she goes back to her husband, her black husband, played by Andre Holland, who you'll know from Moonlight, um, and her two black children. So these two women have kind of these lives where they are playing this balancing act all the time about identity and freedom as well. Let's have a clip. I, I do. Well, we both have views on this film, don't we? Um, but let's just hear a clip so people get some idea. Pardon me, I don't mean to stare, but I think I know you. Claire? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find out the history of the blonde you've brought along. She's a girl from Chicago I used to know. Princess from Chicago. Things aren't always what they seem. Bobby Dan. Lots of people pass all the time. It's easy for a Negro to pass for white. I'm not sure it'd be so simple for a white person to pass for color. So you haven't ever thought to? What? Have you ever thought of passing? No, why should I? Now I have everything I've ever wanted. That's actually from the trailer for Passing, which, as Rihanna said, is the directorial debut of Rebecca Hall, who also wrote it. Um, I was 
throughout this film, I was kind of waiting for something to happen that didn't. Mm-hmm. For a start, if I'm honest, I thought the two women were going to were going to fall in love with each other. Yes. There was there were certainly indications that there was an attraction between the two of them. Yeah, I think so. And maybe even a, a sort of hint that maybe something had happened before because they knew each other at school. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't pick up on that, but you might be right. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's one of those films where every look and every Seem to have smile has, you can yeah. interpret it in as so many different ways. Um, and there's also so much jealousy between the two of them, which I thought was a really interesting uh, kind of relationship because one is almost jealous of the other for having a particular lifestyle and not needing to live in fear that her whole life. Yeah. Um, although, of course, she's trapped in a in another kind of fear that she will be found out. And and yet, Ruth Negger's character is really envious of Tessa Thompson because she has a life where she's kind of happy. She has a husband who loves her. She has these two beautiful children um, who she has a real connection with. And Ruth Negger is kind of looking at this life thinking, I want this or I want to have African-American people in my life. And she's not able to in the life that she's chosen. It's also shot in black and white, isn't yes. it? Yes. Now, um, what am what am I supposed to make of that? <laughs> what did you make of it? Well, I wasn't. I, that's why I'm asking you. I wasn't sure. I mean, I'm trying to remember the last time I saw a film that was. I think it might have been Manhattan, which I think was a Woody oh. Allen film. I mean, this is how long ago it was. Mm-hmm. It would have been acceptable for me to go to a Woody Allen <laughs> film, but there was obviously a reason that this was in black and white. Yeah, I wondered actually if much of it was about the fact that we wouldn't necessarily be able to tell if just how dark-skinned or light-skinned the actors were. I don't know. That was my kind of initial knee-jerk. Everything does look beautiful in black and white. And I think because they are in Harlem, we've seen Harlem on screen before, so our imagination fills in the gaps. And I think it also allows all of our other senses in film to kind of come through. The music that we hear in the trailer the soundtrack is another excellent soundtrack. I couldn't... And it's it's quite repetitive in a way, but it really loves... You. Yeah, yeah. It is so gorgeous and really perfect for this. And also now there's an element that we call code switching, where people kind of act differently depending on who they're with, their different cultures, etc. So that was kind of my first idea of that happening. Um, and it just really opened my eyes to what actually you must have to think about all of the time. I mean, I'm dual heritage. I can pass for not necessarily half Indian but you know if I'm in any sort of because I'm darker I can go you know people have no idea where I'm from which actually makes it kind of easier if I'm in other countries because they think I'm from there. Oh I see right so you know so I don't necessarily always look like a foreigner no, whereas, <laughs> unless I'm in the UK. Yeah. yeah, this is something I think if you're going to watch it it's passing and it's on Netflix available from the 10th of November. Make sure you actually watch it yes don't sit there on your phone no don't don't do that you will miss those subtleties yeah this is one to watch on a big screen and really focus and i think then you'll get a lot from it Mm -hmm. and you'll appreciate i think the very careful staging of this whole thing so having set off by suggesting i was underwhelmed by it i realized i'm still thinking about it Mm. passing on netflix from the 10th of november And now it's my favourite part of the podcast. It's time for What We Watched, where you have to guess which year I have on this piece of paper right in front of me from these clues of what was on TV in that year. You were pretty confident last week. You were Uh, a bit off. Oh, (laughs) 
Well, I'm poised <laughs> and not so confident this week. Okay. Your first clue is Patsy Palmer made her EastEnders debut as long-running character... Bianca Jackson. Of course, Bianca. How could I forget? Yeah. Uh, so here's a clip of Tiffany, Martin McCutcheon and Bianca trying on some clothes before heading out for a double date in Walford. I can't wait for this. Here's Tiffany. So what do you reckon? Oh, you're amazing. This must have cost a bit. Well, it did, but then again, I never paid for it, did I? What, you nicked it? No, won't take all that risk. Now, this was bought for me by an admirer. Oh, lucky you. Anyone I know? No, but you might meet him tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. Try this on with it. Might look good. So, what's he like then, this bloke? Big. Old. What, ancient? Dunno, never asked. Old, but he's alright. So, do you love him? Oh, yeah, he's got sterling <laughs> qualities. <laughs> oh, it's lovely. Oh, I don't know. Oh, it suits you. And if you've got it, flaunt it, is what I say. <laughs> That was the least realistic... I mean, I know it's a soap and I know it's mm. standards. The least realistic conversation between two young people. Yes. Do you love him? <laughs> yeah, That's not what you are. That wasn't working on any level, no. was it? Was that... Did anybody not notice at the time? Sorry, let me rephrase that. Did nobody notice at the time just how terrible that was? Obviously not. Apparently not. Doesn't help me with the year. Go on. Uh, the second clue is, and I wonder if you're a fan of this channel, QVC launched in the UK, becoming the UK's first home shopping channel. Have you ever bought anything from QVC? Officially, no. Unofficially? Can we just hear it? Hello, I'm Steve Watley and you're watching QVC, Britain's new and exciting shopping channel. And we're live in the studio today. I say we because I have a guest, David Johnston from Casio, who is the gadget and gizmo expert. He really knows everything there is to know. So I will be taking him through some gadgets and he can tell us everything we need to know. They gave that a real wallop, didn't they, at the opening of the network there? He really sounded... Filled with enthusiasm. Thrilled. Yeah. Um, um, well, okay. Um, I'm really you like, this is a no, hard this is, one. No, this is a really hard one. Uh, I know that what I'm really agonising over is that they were the golden years of EastEnders. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, Things have gone off. Do you want one more clue? Go on. After six years, six series and 179 editions... BBC One broadcasted the final episode of its Saturday morning magazine programme, Going Live. And the presenters at the time were Sarah Green and Philip Schofield. Now, I've never heard of Going Live. Haven't you? No, which I don't know if that's a clue in itself. This actually is a clue for me. Do do we have anything from that? Because I think from memory, they both cried. Here's a clip of Scof reading out letters that have been written into the programme with Gordon the Gopher doing his thing. Uh, I think the final two now, Gordon. I've saved the best till last. Good morning to David Johnson. David Johnson is very proud of his job. It says environmental services. Here he is by the side of his portaloo here. That's, uh, that's, that's David Johnson. He's in Ireland and on the other side it says here, I am number one in portable toilet. <laughs> As opposed to the number two, which would be far more unpleasant. <laughs> Bit of toilet humour there from yeah, Philip Schofield. Actually, quite funny um, for Philip Schofield. <laughs> well, yeah. Listen, who's the bigger name, me or Philip Schofield? I think we know the answer to that. You, Jane. Thank you. Um, what year is this? So I'm going to say 1996. Do you want some more clues? 
I thought I was quite confident with that one. You are confident, but you were wrong. So do you want some more clues? <laughs> Go on then. <laughs> Jurassic Park, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum, opened. And Laura Dern. Um, lest we forget. Lest we forget. So this set a box office weekend record of $502 million. Also, Nelson Mandela and South African President F.W. de Klerk were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in this year. I'm st- 90, it's 97? not 96. It's not 97. 98. It's 1993, Jane. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> Much earlier. So if this has evoked memories of your own, the things that you were watching, what you were doing at that time, any funny stories, please email the show. It's podcast at radiotimes.com or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Radio Times. If you'd like a breakdown of the listings of the programmes we've discussed today, then make sure you look at the episode notes wherever you get your podcast. And do follow and join us every week. The Radio Times podcast is produced by Something Else for Immediate Media. Take care. Thanks. Thanks.